that for a little bit, if you know Jesus, then, uh, then that should mean something to you. That, that should move you in a way. Well, welcome to church this morning. Glad that you're here. If you do not know me, I'm Pastor Mark. Uh, I've met quite a few new people in the first service and then even in this service. But if I did not get a chance to shake your hand, I, I want to say hi to you. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Myself and a few of the other pastors will be out at the welcome desk, kind of by the front doors afterwards. We'd love to shake your hand. We don't want you, if you're new, we don't want you just to come in and go out and not get to know us at all. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. We hope you'll go by our guest center. We want to give you a gift bag, put that in your hands, and make you feel welcome and loved because you are welcome and you are loved. And we're absolutely glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you that are joining us for our Intro to Harvest class after this, great, looking forward to it. If, you, if that's you and you've been thinking, I need to go to that Intro to Harvest class, oh, stink, I forgot to sign up last week, uh, just come. We're ready for you. We have, we have a big class today, uh, but we'll, we'll have room for you. We'll fit you in. So if, if that's you, uh, just head right on the other side of this wall after the service. Uh, we'll spend about an hour together. There's refreshments. There's child care. There's everything you need. And that class, you say, why would I go to that class? If you're newer, or maybe you're not even newer, but you're just wondering, is this really the place for me and my family? Or I need to get connected. That's, that's the one-stop shop. That's where you go. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to know if this is the place for you and your family. You'll be able to know how you can get connected here at the church. And we want to help you with that if you're new. So I hope that you will do that. Uh, you did hopefully get a communion packet as you came in this, uh, this morning. It looks like this. If not, then while I'm talking, you just go out, get one, and come back in. No one, no one will, you know, care. Uh, but this is for people who know Jesus as their Savior. I just want to make that clear up front. We'll do this at the end. Pastor Dom will actually lead us in communion at the end. But uh, you don't have to be a member of this church if you're here from out of town or, or you're just visiting or whatever. And, but if you know Jesus as your Savior, we would say you're more than welcome to join in with us and to do that today. And uh, we hope that it's meaningful and powerful and special to you. I do want to take just a minute and visit with you about Easter. Uh, we sat down as a staff team about a week or two after New Year's. That's normally our habit. Uh, we sit down, we go to lunch together, and we spend about three hours trying to hash out the big picture plan and logistics of, of Easter, and we start on that months, months in advance. And so we did that this year. It was right, you know, beginning of January. We sat down and said, what do we want to do this year? How do we want to do it? You know, we're, we're in this pandemic season. This, this is crazy. And so the plan that we came up with that we want to share with you for Easter, which is, believe it or not, Easter's four weeks away, okay? We're going to have time change this weekend. We'll get more daylight. And then uh, four weeks from today, Easter will be here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, that's coming up. And here's the plan, okay? Our plan is to try to uh, give something to every person in our church or our community, no matter where they kind of fall on the ideological spectrum of, of what to do with COVID. So I know in our church, we basically have three groups of people. We have a group of people that's, hey, I'm staying away from crowds as much as possible. I'm not by people. I'm, I'm at home. I'm tuning in. Many of you right now, you're watching at home. Uh, we're glad that you are. And I'm away for health reasons. So we have that for sure. Uh, we also have a group that's, I'm here, but I'm real cautious. And I want to be more in the first service. Our first service is not as many people, more spread out. Everyone wears a mask. And man, I, I prefer that environment. And we've even seen quite a few of our, our people, who have church members who haven't been in church for months, now are starting to come back because of, of what's happening with the pandemic. And I'm grateful for that. If you've paid attention at all uh, over the last uh, month or two, things are trending the right way. Hospitalizations, new cases, deaths, all that's trending the right way. And that's a good thing. I'm hopeful that a month or two from now, life will feel pretty normal. I don't know for sure if that will be the case or not, but I'm very hopeful for that. 
And uh, we're never going to reach COVID zero, okay? We're never going to reach a point to where, you know, no one ever gets COVID. Uh, but hopefully we'll reach a point where there is more normalcy and there is uh, uh, just greater stability. So we have a group that wants to be in service but with masks. And then we have you guys who are here. And this is a mask optional service. If, if you want to, you can. If, if you don't, that's fine too. So our goal is to try to provide Easter to each of those segments because we understand that people in our community feel the same way about this. So not just our church, our community. So here's what we're doing, okay? Uh, Friday night, we're going to have a Good Friday service, but our Good Friday service will be streamed into your homes exclusively. It won't be here on campus. There'll be nothing live with people. That will be something that we film beforehand, and we actually customize it to be targeted at a digital online audience that, because we know there's going to be roughly 20% of our church or so that, that will probably still be in that boat on the weekend of Easter, and we want to do something specific for them to show them we were thinking about them. You can still obviously participate in that. The week before Easter, we'll have uh, kits that you can actually take home with you. Uh, they'll have a kit for you to be able to take communion with us on that Friday in your home with your family, and a few other things in there. I won't spoil it all, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. We're doing that on Friday. Sunday, we'll have two services. Our 830 service will be mask required, and uh, there'll probably be less people there, a little bit more spread out. And then our 1030 service will be mask optional, and, and you can do what you want there. So that's our plan. And I understand, okay, there, there's a leadership mantra that says when you try to please everybody, you please nobody, okay? I, I understand that. And that is generally true. It really is. And our, our goal, though, is it is to try to please everybody and to try to give something that is for each, each person, no matter where they, where they fall with all things pandemic. And I, I'm hopeful that, you know, we won't have to be doing this a year from now, you know, Easter of 2022, but we feel like we're still there right now. So that's what we're doing, and not just for our church family, but honestly for you even as you invite people to worship with you on Easter weekend. I want you as, as our church family to be comfortable when you say, hey, here's a track, you know, here's a little invite, or you share, you text somebody, here's our Easter website, I hope that you can join in with us. I want you to feel comfortable that no matter what somebody says, you will be able to tell them, we got an option for you, right? If someone says, I'm avoiding crowds still like no other, you know, I still haven't got a vaccine or whatever it is, that you can say, look, we have something made for you. Would you tune in with us on Friday and, and have them hear the gospel on Friday? If you have someone that says, I've been, you know, I've been online, but it's Easter. I really want to be back, but I'm still, man, I, I'm, I'm really, this is all still really tender to me. Great. Come to the 830 service. I mean, there's masks. It'll be more spread out. Or if someone's like, you're not going to make me wear a, mayor, wear a mask, are you, right? Our 1030 service is for you. I want you, even as you invite people, to know that no matter where someone is, that you can come to them and, and say, hey, we have an option for you. We really want you to, to come, to hear the gospel, to worship, whatever the lingo you put around it, that you can invite with confidence, okay? So I hope that you're excited about it. We've been planning Easter weekend for months with choir and, and orchestra and, and, and kids stuff. There's so much. We'll share with you more in the weeks to come different aspects of what we're doing on Easter weekend. But for today, we're just saying that's the plan. Hopefully there's something that you love. There's probably something about the plan you don't love, but, but that's okay. Let's all get over it together and love that someone else loves it, right? That someone else loves that aspect of the plan and uh, be a team and just Enjoy the fire of Easter weekend together. That, that's our goal. So I hope that you will go by the tables today. The call to action today is go get some tools. We'll give you new tools every weekend to try to invite people. Today is a yard sign. If you want to put that in your yard or a window cling to put on your car, 
I personally live in a neighborhood where about 10 different families come to our church that live in my neighborhood. It's just the way it worked out. So I love Easter season because I get to drive down the road and see Easter yard signs all over the place. And uh, it's a lot of fun for me. And I hope that you'll do the same thing. No matter where you live, if you live in the city or in the sticks or wherever you live, I, I, hope, that you'll, I hope that you'll do it, that you'll get one, and that, uh, that you'll be a part of this. That we'll be a team and that uh, we'll do our best to see the gospel get to as many people as possible this Easter weekend. Sound like a plan? All right, that was weak, but that's okay. I'm, I'm the, the four of you that said it sounds like a plan, that's great. If, if, if you, it sounds like a plan, let, let me hear amen. amen. All right, that's good, that's good. I, I think it was most people. So uh, what we're going to do, go to Exodus 3. I'm going to actually pray. You turn there real quick, and we're going to pray. I do just want to take a minute today and pray, number one, for Easter weekend, that the Lord would bless it, and that, uh, that we would just have a great time as believers worshiping, but also sharing the good news of a resurrected Jesus with, with people that don't believe, uh, but also that the Lord would bless today. I don't want to overlook today and just look a month from now, but the Lord would bless today, because I think he has something for us even here this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we, we don't take this for granted. Uh, I must confess, Father, that there certainly were times before this pandemic where I took the assembly of your people for granted more than I should have, frankly, and I, I do, I hold this time right now special to be able to be together as believers, and we pray that you'd move, we pray that you'd work, we pray that, uh, that you would speak to us. Lord, no doubt there are people here today that are going through tough times and hurts, there's anything from I just lost a loved one this week, to I'm having surgery next week, to I had a baby this week, and anywhere in between, Lord, the, the highs and the lows, and so would you speak to each and every one? Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that doesn't believe in you, I pray that they would see uh, your good news clearly today, that they'd respond. Lord, we pray for Easter, that you'd bless it, uh, bless our work, our effort. Uh, we've, we're doing our best to prepare and plan, but we're also trusting you, and we're asking that, uh, that, that it would just be a special time together as a church family. Lord, we love you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Exodus chapter 3 is where we're at here this morning, and I wanted to start by sharing a story about Robert De Niro, the, the actor in The New Yorker. He was interviewed years ago, and he was asked a question, if you get to the pearly gate in heaven, uh, what do you want to say to God? And De Niro, he, he said, if God exists, uh, I've got some questions for him. He has some explaining to do. And De Niro articulated what you know, most of people that are, that are secular and, and non-Christian would think that, you know, I, I don't even know if God exists, but if he does exist, I see brokenness, I see pain, I see suffering, I've had some of that in my own life. Why? You know, if he's good, if he's big, if he's benevolent, why would that be the case? It's, it's common for secular people to look around and not only question the existence of God, but to also question the character of God. And in this particular series that we're going through this month, we are welcoming God to turn the tables, as it were, on us and ask us some questions and say, Lord, would you have any questions for us? And we're looking at places in the Bible where God did, in fact, ask questions. And there aren't a ton of these places in the scriptures, but there are a handful, and we're examining them through the month of March to be able to understand a bit more about the nature and the character of God and, and what that means for us. So we look in installment number one of this, uh, a question of priority, really. This is a question from Haggai, of people who are putting themselves ahead of God. Today we're going to look at a question of calling, and this is the story of Moses and the burning bush, and how God calls Moses to this grand purpose and this grand plan that he has for his life. 
And this is recorded for us in Exodus chapter number 3. So let's do our best to read it together. If you don't have a Bible, number one, we'll put it on the screen. But number two, we'd love to give you one. We have them at our guest center, and it's our gift to you today. We'd love you to get one. But Exodus chapter number 3, look at verse number 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mightest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly, I will be with thee. So this is right after uh, the burning bush in Moses. In that episode, God says, I have a calling for you. I want you to go lead my people out of Egypt, out of bondage. Look at chapter 4, verse number 1. Same conversation. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, speaking of the elders of Israel, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thy hand? There's a question. Moses, what's in your hand? And he said, A, a rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it, as one would. Verse 4, the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thy hand and take it by the tail. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to catch a snake. I have. Uh, that's not how you do it, okay? Don't look at this and be like, well, God said, don't do it that way, okay? You don't catch a snake by the tail. You catch it behind the head so it doesn't bite you. But he said, catch it by the tail. So he put forth his hand. He caught it. It became a rod in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. So, God does this to, to give him a sign, to say that this is valid, that I, I'm going to do something supernatural to prove that I am with you. If you keep reading, uh, you'll read that God does two more signs. He has Moses put his hand in his cloak and pull it out, and it's disease-ridden. Then he puts it back in, and it's clean. Then he does water to blood. And we're going to skip that for sake of time, but all of them are signs to show that, like, I'm God. I'm big. I can flex my muscles. And it's, it, they're not parlor tricks. They're, they're signs for Moses. Verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, which means I never have been. But I'm slow of speech, of a slow tongue. The Lord said unto him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes the dumb, or the deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Another batch of questions. Now therefore go, I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he comes forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. And I'll teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. He shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. Thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thy hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. There's a lot to unpack in this text for sure. But I wanted to start just by the, the most basic part of this text is the call that Moses receives. You find in this passage of scripture that Moses is called by God to go do something outside of his comfort zone. You find in chapter 3, verse 10, that it's very plain. Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. I, I want you to do this. Verse four, or Chapter 4, verse 12, same thing. Go, I'll be with you. I'll teach you. So here is God coming with a call to Moses. Now there's application for us, but I wanted to start here. 
in my experience, when you talk to Christian people and you talk about the, the quote-unquote call of God or what God wants you to do, many times this is a paralyzing thing. It's very, especially the younger you are. It's very common for someone to come out of high school or be in college or be early in marriage. And even if they don't have a concept of God, to be overwhelmed by the options, to be overwhelmed by what schools they could go to or what they could do or what career choice. There are fewer and fewer people taking the family, you know, trade and just doing what's been passed down from generation to generation. And there's all these options, and, and, and it oftentimes overwhelms people. But then you take a Christian young person, someone who's a junior or a senior in high school or trying to choose their career track, and you add on top of that this layer of what does God want, Right? You don't just have all the options and all the decision-making that a, that a, that a non-Christian has, but you also have what does God want. And, and that can become, if you're not careful, something that paralyzes you, something that makes you over-introspective, something that leads to stagnation, really, of, of I don't know, what does God want? And it can become this, this like mystical sort of, you know, oh God, would you reveal yourself and write on a wall to me, or somehow, you know, send me a dream, or you can become this, this really big thing. And this is a big moment for Moses, to be clear. This is God calling Moses to do something unique that he's not calling anyone else in the history of the world to do. But if you, if you take this and you break it down to its minimum complexity, what the call of God on Moses is, is just very simply a call to obey what God clearly said. If you really boil it down to its simplest form, when God says, Moses, I want you to do this and this and this and this, although that's unique to Moses, this is, this is just a call for Moses to respond in obedient faith to the clear word of God. And when you think of the call of Moses in those terms, then it suddenly becomes far more applicable. When you start to think of the call of God in your life just to respond in obedient faith to his clear word, then all of a sudden you can see where the ramifications start to come your way. You can see where, okay, I may not know everything. I, I, I don't know the future. I don't know what God has in store for me in 10 years. I don't know how long I'll live. But there are some things that he told me in the Bible that I know as a Christian I should do. There's some things he told me that I shouldn't do, and it's really clear. It's not ambiguous. Like it's, it, I don't have to guess at it. There are things that he said, and it's there that you can say, okay, am I responding in obedient faith to that? My goal this morning is not to say, here's what you should do with your life 10 years from now. My goal this morning is to say, God's word came clearly to Moses, and it was, it was abundantly clear, crystal clear. Here's what you should do. And if you have that level of clarity with anything in your life that his word says, don't do this or do do this, then you should respond in obedient faith to that. You should take that as a call from him that this is what God wants for my life. And there's this pattern set forth in this passage that is this. There's a clear word from God. Moses then has to respond in faith and in obedience to that. And then God will showcase his power. And that's not always, but that's generally the way that God works, even today with Christians. That he will tell you or show you, do this clearly. I'm not talking about mysticism. I'm just talking about his word says do this. You have to respond in obedient faith. And then you will see that he will work on your behalf or power will come forth or, or that will work to your good. This is the pattern that he set up for us as Christians. And you see this very clearly in this what's in thy hand episode, right? You look in verse number one, and Moses says, God, I can't, I can't go. The people, they're not going to buy in. They're not going to believe me. And God says, Moses, okay, time out. I know this is big. I, I know I'm calling you to do something really grand. Let's just take some baby steps, okay? What do you got in your hand, uh, Rod? 
Okay, put it down. Clear word. Moses, just put the stick on the ground. And Moses now has to choose if he wants to obey or not in faith. You say, well, what's the big deal? Put the stick on the ground. I know, but he could have said, no. I kind of like my stick in my own head. I don't, I don't want to put it on the ground. But he does. He puts it on the ground. Word, obedient faith, then what? Transforms into a serpent. And Moses runs, right? Because he's just as scared of snakes as all the rest of us are, right? He, he runs. Okay, Moses, pick it up by the tail. Word, clear. Moses has to choose. Do I want to respond in obedient faith? Does. Becomes a stick again, right? That's the pattern. And if you keep reading the, the hand in the cloak or the water and the blood, the whole thing is the same pattern. My word, you obey in faith, and, and, then, and then you'll see something happen. That's how it works. Now, one of the great ironies of the Christian life is that most Christians want to, to actually see God work. They don't want to just have this, this nominal thing where I believe in God in my head, but I never see his power, I, I never see him work. They want something real, tangible, a relationship with him. They want to see the power of God. But many times those same people that want power of God also don't want to respond in obedient faith. And that's not how it works. You respond in obedient faith to what the Lord has called you to do, and then you see him work on your behalf. I see this work itself out in my own life and in Christians' lives all the time. I see this work itself out in evangelism, in generosity, in finance, in serving, in all kinds of areas, just basic areas, where God says, you know what? You know me. I know you. We have a relationship. I want you to share that with people. I want you to share the good news with people. Take sharing my message with people by the tail. Grab it. And we say, oh, I don't, I, don't, I mean, can't you send somebody else to tell them? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I really want to, like, just be, like, the Jesus guy around work, around my family. Like, they're going to think I'm overzealous, that I drank the Kool-Aid, right? They're going to think I'm cuckoo for Christian pus. Like, they're not going to like this. I don't know if I should do this. But what God says is, do it. I'm telling you, share. Open up your mouth and then see if, if I don't work on your behalf, right? Generosity is the same way. Take generosity by the tail. Grab it. And we step back and say, I'm, I don't know if I want to, like, that's, I kind of like my money. It doesn't really make the sense to me, God. Like, you're telling me that if I'll just, if I'll be generous and I'll give, that you'll bless me and give more. Like, why, all right, why don't you, let's do this, God. Why don't you give to me and then I'll give it away. Why don't we do that, right? No, 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 that ain't how it works, right? You be generous, you give, then see if I'll open up the windows of heaven and bless you, Right? Go serve people. Invest in them. Be involved. Give of your time. Give of yourself. Help others. Go do that. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not taking that one by the tail. I mean, I got, a, I got a busy schedule, God. I got a lot of work to do. I mean, my kids got a lot of stuff going on. I don't, I, I don't want to do that. That's not how it works, right? It's when God says do this and it's clear, then we respond in obedient faith, and then we see him work on our behalf. That's the system that he set up. And one of the most basic applications of this whole passage right here is just to ask yourself, what is it that you know God wants you to do that you're just not doing? One of the most basic applications of Genesis chapter, or Exodus chapter number 4 is what is it that God doesn't want me to do, but I keep doing it? What is, what is the sin in my life that I'm supposed to be killing off, but if I'm honest, I don't struggle hard against it. I don't work against it. I I, I've, I've laid down and died. I have no effort to, to, to work against that sin in my life. 
And if we can just stop and start to ask ourselves those questions, then all of a sudden this immediately becomes something that, that we begin to see, okay, God's calling me to that. I, I don't know what the grand plan is for your life, but I know if he's clearly told you do this, th then you should do that. And before we get worked up about all that God has in store for us for our future and, and this big call that he has in our life and make it heavy and mystical, we should just stop and do some self-examination and see if there's areas where he's already spoken clearly and we have ignored those calls. So a call comes to Moses, here's what I want you to do. It's, it's, it's clear. But Moses has this war inside of himself that's really plain on the pages of Scripture. And you start to see this, this crisis that's inside of him that he doesn't really want to do it. And you see that, first of all, in chapter 4, verse number 1, where Moses says, flat out, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So Moses says, God, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about what they think, and they ain't going to listen to me. Now, why would he say that? Why would he suppose that? I can't say 100% for sure, but I think it's a logical conclusion to say because they didn't listen to him the first time. Moses is 80 right now in this passage. He's been in the desert for 40 years being a shepherd. Remember what happened 40 years ago when Moses was 40? That's Exodus chapter number 2. Remember when he wanted to lead the people out of slavery? He wanted to get them away from the taskmasters. He wanted to lead and it didn't go well. Let's, let's read it together. Flip back to Exodus 2. I want to read a couple verses with you. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. This is 40 years prior. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren. So Moses, the man who was raised in Pharaoh's house, he's a Hebrew man, but raised in Pharaoh's house. He looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way and he saw that there was no man. This means that, you know, look both ways before you cross the street across the street, right? That's what Moses did. Anybody there? Anybody there? Ain't nobody around, okay? There was no one there, at least he thought. So he slew the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand or he buried him in the sand. So here's this, this cruel taskmaster and Moses says, okay, I'm, I'm going to take matters in my own hand. He's young, he's brash, so he does. He kills the man. Verse 13, he went out the second day. Behold, two men of the Hebrews, now two of his brethren, they strove together, they fought. And he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? So he finds these two guys are fighting, and he says, Why are you fighting with each other? Why are you hitting him? Don't do that. And here's what they say. Who made you to be a prince and a judge over us? Right? Who died and made you king, Moses? Who put you in charge? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? Then Moses feared, and he said, Oh, stink. Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, it was known. He sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Do you see that? Forty years prior, young, confident, brash Moses steps up to the plate. He tries to take two Hebrew men, and he tries to lead them. And what did they say? They said, you a prince? You a judge? You, you over us? I didn't think so. Bug off, right? And now 40 years prior, God says, go lead all of them. And Moses is saying more or less, I couldn't lead two of them, God. How am I going to lead all of them? They're, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to hear what I have to say. I'm never going to get their, their endorsement. This is the opposite of the young, brash, overconfident Moses. This is a man in his 80s. This is a man who now understands his own limitations, and age does that to us. 
I say to us, I'm not that old, I, I recognize. But as you age, you become more aware of your limitations, right? Th- this is a man whose ambition is all dried up. He's broken. He is content to just be with sheep and avoid people in the desert. That's Moses right now. And what is he doing? He is using his past to justify his disobedience today. That's what he's doing more or less. You think, God, they're not going to listen. They never did. So because of that, I'm not doing today. I'm, I'm not walking forward in faith. And this happens all the time to Christians who God is wooing towards obedience, wooing to himself, telling them, I want you to do this. Follow me in faith. But God, well, you don't know eh, back there. I mean, people, they know. If I try to tell them how good you are and what you mean in my life, they're going to be like, I knew you 10 years. Come on, give me a break. I know, I know you, right? God, I, I can't love and lead my family the right way. I mean, I, I, I miss the boat with my kids. I, I, I spent their, their whole adolescence working and not being involved, and now they, they don't even want a relationship with me. I can't engage now. I know I should. I know it's not too late for me to be a good dad. I, I know that I should, but God, I, I, it's too late. God, I, I broke trust. I, I, I can't repair that. How can I lead and, and love her? How, how can I be a good spouse when, when I already did this? God, we do this to ourselves all the time. That happened, so I can't obey today. And God's saying, no, no. Don't use your past to justify your disobedience today. Don't stop trying. Don't lay down and die. Don't just stop. And this is what Moses did. He's content to just stop. I will just be with my sheep and by my well and not with people. Just leave me alone, God. They're not going to listen to me. And God's saying, no, I still have a plan for you. I still have a purpose for you. I still have steps of faith for you. I still want you to walk in obedience. Go, believe me. But it doesn't end there. Chapter, or verses 10 and 12 tell us a bit more of this crisis that's inside of Moses. Look, look at this. He doesn't just feel ineffective. He feels inadequate, really. Verse 10, and this, is, this really is sad. It's really sad. Verse 10 is what Moses says. Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. Lord, I'm not eloquent. I never have been. I'm slow of speech. I'm of a slow tongue. We don't know exactly what that means. If he had a stutter, if, if he had a lisp, if he just, he just struggled to communicate. We don't know exactly, but that's me. And the Lord said to him, Moses, who made man's mouth? Who makes the tongue, Moses? Who made the mouth? Who makes the dumb, the deaf, the seen, the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now go, therefore, Moses. I will be thy mouth. I'll teach you what to say. Here's what Moses is saying. God, I'm going to be ineffective. So God says, okay, let's, let's do this thing. Baby steps. Staff, do this. this. Okay, but God, I'm, I'm going to feel inadequate. I'm not gifted. God, I don't, I don't have what it takes. I'm not equipped for this. Right? It's a sense of personal inadequacy which is yet again something that causes us many times to be very hesitant to obey and follow God. That the imposter syndrome is, is something that Christians and non-Christians deal with. Feeling like I'm, I'm going to be found out. They're, they're going to they're realize I'm not as smart as my resume says. I don't, I, I don't have it all together. I, I feel inadequate inside God. I don't think that I'm enough. You ever been there? Where you fear to do something you know you should do because you don't feel like you're enough or that you'll have enough? What is interesting about this text is that God never speaks to his low self-esteem. 
quite the opposite. So this, this is a, a vast departure from what you will hear from, from most of your therapists, okay? God does not speak to his low self-esteem. God does not say, Moses, come here, buddy. Come near me. I'm going to tell you something. I put you in Pharaoh's house, right? You speak Egyptian, bro. Like, you're, you're one of the smartest guys I have ever created. You got this. You can do this. Team Moses, let's go. You, I'm not saying you shouldn't encourage people. There's a space for encouragement. But God does not do that here. God, God does not come to him and say, you know, your tongue, piddle, eh, don't matter. You're, you're overblowing this. No, no, he doesn't. What he does is he says, Moses, come here. Stop looking at yourself. Moses, who made your tongue? Moses, who makes the eyes? Moses, who made, who made you? Who created it all? Moses, me. Yeah, me, right? What he's doing is saying, Mo- stop looking at yourself. Stop. I'm inadequate. I can't do this. Okay. Look at me. I'm capable, right? This, this is God saying to Moses, Moses, you're right. You ain't awesome. How liberating is that, right? It would be very liberating if some of you just said, you know what, I'm not that special. I, I, I hate to tell you that, okay? But all of us, they're, they're, we have tons of issues. And you're not that special. I know I probably shouldn't say it to you as your pastor, but it's the truth. You're not awesome. Neither was Moses. And God was trying to get him to see, you don't need to be awesome, Moses. I'm awesome, right? Like, I'm special. I have the power. I created everything. I don't need you to have all this put together. I just need you to obey me and to trust me and have faith in me and have confidence in me and get your eyes off of yourself. You're right. Your tongue is weak. But who cares? I can take care of you, right? This is God saying, Moses, look at me. Trust me. And the paradox of the whole text is that Moses actually started this whole I'm inadequate thing when, when he says that God is Adonai, if you look at, at the beginning of verse 10, he says, Lord, and then there's this, oh, my Lord. He says it twice. And what he says is, is God, you're Adonai. Adonai means, it's the Hebrew word, it means Lord, sovereign, master. And what Moses says, literally, is, oh, Adonai, oh, sovereign one, oh, master, oh, oh great one, powerful one. You can do anything. Nothing can stay your, your hand. <gasps> but my inadequacies trump your power. That's what he says. How crazy is that? Like, it reads like it's satire. Like, that can't be true. This did not just happen. He did not call him Adonai and then say, my brokenness trumps your omnipotence. But he did. That's what he, that's what he says. That, that I, I, I see you, okay? I have, I have a theological understanding of who you are, God. But when it push comes to shove, I, I'm more focused on myself, and that is, that's what's winning the battle today. And God is saying, Moses, you just called me Adonai, man. Who made you? Who made all this? Who did this? You got my name right, but it would be great if what you believed about my name and how you actually lived were in sync, Moses. Isn't, is this not a trap that we all fall into? And maybe it's just me. But don't we all have these moments all the time where we believe something about God, we say we believe his word, we say he's great, awesome, all these things, but then how we live in our day-to-day life doesn't measure up, Right? We all live in some shade of this. This happens to all of us. But God is trying to get Moses to take that gap between his head knowledge and his life application, and he's wanting to close that gap as fast as he can. You're never going to close every one of those gaps in your life, nor am I, but we should take this, this lesson and say, I want to close those gaps as best I can. 
I, I want to work towards having what I say I believe, my talk, match my walk, right? We just sang, Matt mentioned the song we sang, that mentioned a newborn baby, the song Because He Lives. I love that song just because it does a great job of saying, here's what you should believe, theology, and here's what it should mean for your life, and they should go together, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Those are really simple words, but the power behind those is unbelievable. What that means is, I believe that Jesus for real rose from the dead. Like, he legitimately did it. I believe he lives. I believe he's, he's not dead. He's still alive. I believe that. So because of that, it now affects my day-to-day, right? Now I can face tomorrow. Now, because he lives, that's pretty impressive. I mean, if you can conquer death and, and the grave, then you must be pretty powerful. Maybe you would be able to help me with my day. Maybe you would be able to be in charge, right? Maybe I would have hope now. But what that means is the head is now beginning to work itself out in my life and in my day-to-day living, and that's the way it should go. That's where Moses is not. That he's saying you're great and you're awesome and you're wonderful, but my tongue is bigger than your power. In reality, that's where Moses is at. And God's saying, Moses, I don't want you to be there. So here's... Here's Moses in this moment of God calling him, God trying to, to be gracious and pull him along. Uh, I'll, I'll be inadequate. It won't work. Moses, stop. God, uh, they're not going to listen to me. Moses, stop. And you would think it would end there. You would think it would be like, so Moses did what God said, the end, you know. Nope. It, gets, it literally gets worse. Like the worst it has been today. Verse 13. This, this is not building towards a climax actually in Moses's life it'll get there eventually but not yet verse 13 look at it with me I need to turn there Exodus 4 verse 13 and he said oh my Lord send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send now that's a really pretty way to say God I don't want to do it okay that's what he just said it's it's worded as neutrally and non-offensively as possible but he just said God send somebody else, right? If you wanted to put it kind of how maybe we would say it, it'd be, oh, my Lord, with all due respect, sir, don't you know someone else you can send, right? When he says send, send by the one whom thou wilt send, that means somebody else. So God's done all this, been so clear, trying to get him to walk in faith and obedience. And at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, Moses says, send somebody else. Verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He's mad, and rightfully so, justifiably so. And this, I'll be honest, this is the part of the passage that I never understood. It always seemed disjointed to me. It seemed like, what just happened? I feel like we switched gears with his brothers coming, what's going on? But now is the most beautiful part of the whole passage to me. Here's God, Moses in his disobedience, God in his justifiable anger. If I did not know how the story went, I would think it was going to say, so God slapped him upside his head. But I would, I would think after all this, so God, you know, hurled a lightning bolt. God said, forget you, bro, I'm getting somebody else. I, I, like, that's what I'm expecting to read, right? But that's not at all what happens. Here's Moses in his disobedience. Here's God in his justifiable wrath. And here comes a brother. Look at, look at 14. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, 
Here's another question. Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? Yeah, he is my brother. I know him. I know that he can speak well. Also, huh, what do you know? He cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what ye shall do. He shall be thy spokesman unto the people. He shall be even to thee instead of a mouth. That's a powerful statement. Thou shalt be to him instead of God. And by the way, Moses, take this rod in thy hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. So here's disobedient Moses with the anger of God justifiably resting on him. And here comes the brother. And God says, the one who has affection for you, his heart will be glad when he sees you. The one who will do for you what you cannot do for yourself, Moses, he will be your mouthpiece. He will step up to the plate. He will be your representative. Now, if that's not the gospel, I literally don't know what is. If that's not the good news of Jesus in a nutshell, I don't know what what more clearly is. The, The truth of the good news of Jesus is that we are the Moseses who disobey, who do wrong, who have sin, and it's not little, and God's anger and wrath rests on us justifiably. But instead of lightning bolting us to death, he sent us a brother, as it were, right? The one who had compassion for us, the one whose heart was glad when he saw us, who for the joy set before him went to the cross and said, I will be your representative. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I will, I will step up to the plate. I won't shrink back from this. I'll step up to the plate. I'll speak up. I'll be your representative for God. I will take your place, right? This is the compassion of God being shown to a man, and it's a prototype of what was us, that we deserve wrath, we deserve for God to say, I'm done with you, you just, you want it your way, you're selfish, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're greedy, I'm done, but instead he doesn't, he sends us a brother to take our place, and to be our mouthpiece, and to be our representative, and to, and to literally pay our debt, to pay for our sin on a cross, and to take our place and say, I will, I will be there for you, I'll stand up for you. I'll do it for you. And while I understand that we struggle to obey, and I understand God wants to call us into obedience, and, and that we oftentimes have this war inside of us, I also understand that we should, as Christians, stop and thank him for his compassion, that he sent us a brother. That he wasn't just mad. He sent us a brother. And I, I personally think that if we think about that and we praise him for that, that here came the brother when we needed him, that that compassion should move us to want to obey him more, not less. That that compassion should actually push us further over the edge into loving, faithful obedience. And what you find is that happened in Moses' life. I'm not going to keep reading the story. But you find that that's what he needed. And now he goes. And now he obeys. Today we're, we're going to take communion here in just a minute. And the point of our communion together as a church is to remember the brother God sent us. It's to remember our disobedience, his justifiable anger, and nevertheless him still sending us Jesus to take our place and to be our representative. And as we think about that and meditate on that and praise him for that, that should cause us to want to kill off the sin in our lives, to want to obey him and love him and follow him, that should, that should motivate us. That should be a catalyst for us. That should do something to our hearts. It should make us want 
to obey and respond to the call of God more. Let's take that time right now and pray with me if you would. Father, as we enter into these moments of stopping 